Hello everyone and welcome to episode 19 of the Switch Focus podcast. Yep, we're nearly out of our awkward teens. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. With me, as always, is the amnesiac Ginny Wu. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and the brick building Andrew Brown. How are you guys? Uh, apparently lost all my memory, so I'm not doing that great. Um, but apart from that, it's been a good week. I guess I've been playing games. I guess we'll see if I remember. I'm covered in mortar dust, but that's okay because I got a union job. (laughs) (laughs) Cool, and let's uh, catch up with uh, updates from last week's episode. So we're going to talk about Night in the Woods again. Uh, There was some criticism, or I should say one voice of criticism, about the way that uh, Ginny and Andrew reacted to the character of May and her situation. Uh, now you two wanted to sort of revisit that just to clarify your positions a bit. I remember last week we were discussing how we felt about May as a character and I had identified her as a flawed character. And by that I sort of meant someone who was obviously depicted in a very humanised way. So, you know, she's not perfect. She really hasn't got her stuff together, but she's trying hard. And I did mention that I found her very relatable myself. So as I've been just discussing May's characterization prior to that, and I talked about her dropping out of university and how even though I wasn't a university dropout, I still found her quite relatable. I think the framing of my description of her as a flawed person coming so close after that um, may have given the impression that I thought that people that dropped out of university were flawed people. Um, 100% not true. (laughs) Um, That is not how I feel, feel about people that don't complete higher education. Um, not everyone in my family went to university, actually not that many of us have. So I definitely do not think that people that don't want to go to university are flawed inherently in some way. I could have probably phrased my description of May better, or at least thought about what I said prior to that before I described her. But all in all, um, my feelings on May haven't changed. I think she's a character who has flaws and positive attributes. And one of those flaws is not the fact that she didn't go to university. But I think just in the way that she copes with some things, which I find relatable, despite them, I guess, not being conventional coping mechanisms. Um, I think, Andrew, you probably feel the same way that I do. My feelings about May are complicated. Um, In 2004, two things happened. I started college and World of Warcraft came out. Hmm. And I was way more interested at the time in playing World of Warcraft than in going to class. Uh, it's it's easy to blame World of Warcraft for that, but really the problem was when I was 18 and 19 years old, I was not mature enough yet for college. And I have struggled with that since because... It, because I didn't go to college straight away, I had to start supporting myself. And since I was supporting myself, when I was ready to go to college, it took me even longer to get back there. So uh, I was 29, 30 years old before I had finished just an undergraduate degree in college. So I was frustrated with May's attitude without, as I said last week, knowing why she had dropped out. Now I know why, and I'm a lot more sympathetic to her situation, but 
just the way it was initially presented as she just dropped out of college because she didn't feel like it and then she spends all this time with b who was a character i identified with and was much more sympathetic for and that remains true today uh it's hard to talk about a lot of this without spoiling the entire game but I understand now why May couldn't go to college. She's got a good reason, and it's a big plot twist, so I can't just say why. But I'm still frustrated with the way it was presented, and uh, at the end of the day, I'm far more sympathetic to B than I am with May. May is a good character, and Night in the Woods tells a good story. But just because it's a good character and a good story doesn't mean I have to like the main character. And May, if she were a real person, is not a person I would have a lot of patience or respect for. So that's my position on May, and you can judge me for it if you like. But that's how I feel about it. Now, I haven't played it yet, but uh, after listening to a couple of podcasts this week, um, you're absolutely not alone in thinking... That she's a bit of a jerk, if that's your viewpoint on her. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if listeners are of the opinion that she's great and amazing, probably don't engage with much media right now, <laughs> <laughs> mm. or you might end up upset. Um, but it's also worth noting that everyone that I've seen who has said this absolutely loves the game. So, you know, take the rough with the smooth. Yeah, and the lead developer is on Twitter. Uh, his his Twitter handle is at Bombsful. I have no idea what his real name is because he's just a, a total character on Twitter. So I don't know what his real name is. But he, he's actually written about this. He said, For every I am totally not a cop games dude who is like May, unspeakable monster, bad person, etc. It's rad to hear from a dozen people who are like, Yes, hello, that is me now or in the past. It's been me too and some of my favorite people as well. I think that speaks to the strength of the writing in this game, that the characters feel this real, and that there's been apparently so much disagreement among people who play it about how they feel about May as a character. Uh, me, since last episode, I finally finished Lost Sphere, probably 15 hours after the first set of credits rolled. Um, and yep, finished it for real this time, and it became a bit of a drain. Uh, I powered through the the padding that I talked about in the last episode, just carried on into this post-credits content. I just nearly lost interest in the plot entirely. There's a choice in the ending. Honestly, I don't think my selection mattered, but I don't really care if it did anymore. I'm glad I played it. I liked it overall, but it's definitely not as tight or as focused as I Am Sitsuna. Totally less rounded, which is ironic considering it's referencing spheres in the title. Um, and like it's a massive shame because like for the first 30 hours I was completely on board with it and couldn't see how that was going to change and wow did that hit me like a ton of bricks um, finishing that meant that I was able to get through Battleship Brigade this week which was awesome uh, last year when uh, you two were talking about it after the Nindies event I said I wasn't really interested um, mainly because I didn't think it would be a good fit for me. I'm not massive on match three games. I don't cook. I have no interest in cooking games. And I was watching videos of like the combat and my brain just couldn't make those animations, which look stylish in a in a weird way. Didn't make it seem like they'd be anything other than clunky. 
however, I am super pleased to discover that it's amazingly slick all around. Art style is utterly beautiful. I love the hand-drawn art. My absolute favourite thing about it. Um, I saw on Twitter, the uh, one of the developers keeps favouriting stuff I'm talking about it. And I noticed in his profile that he says he's a former Disney, and that just made so much sense. And it's just not structured at all how I expected. I was thinking it would be more constant battles with maybe like a mobile Mat 3 structure. Uh, but it's it's more of a story set across these six chapters. Uh, and with that, the Match 3 thing is just not a big deal if you're treating it as a means to progress what is a great story with superbly written characters. Um, but the mechanics there are definitely fun too. And the combat, to my surprise, feels really slick and responsive. It just didn't compute how the animation could work, but it, it does somehow, and it is really fun. And I guess like looking at each individual component of the game, in my head, it just shouldn't work at all. <laughs> but it just pulls together so well and how they all t- all these mechanics tie into each other. Um, so if I'm getting my writer's head on, I could say that, you know, all these individual ingredients combine to make one hell of a tasty dish. <laughs> Honestly, I just love everything it does, and I'm entirely happy to be wrong in this instance. If I was forced to make a criticism... My favourite chapter, chapter 5, which is nothing short of fantastic, just feels a little out of place in the pacing of the story. Um, I feel like it would have been better served as DLC, but that's just nitpicking. Seriously, everyone should just play this game. It's great. So yeah, happy to be on board, guys. Yay. One of us. One of us. (laughs) One of us. Thanks for badgering me about it. That's our job. <laughs> I, I totally agree about Chapter 5, though. We actually talked about that back yeah. when the game just came out. Chapter 5 should have been Chapter 4, and Chapter 4 should have been Chapter 5. I don't know what happened there. They made that decision, but that's what the game is. So, well, it's, it's got an amazing story across that Chapter 5. Really? It's, it's, yeah, it's got, it's got high stakes, personal stakes, um, literal stakes if you're cooking the right dish. <laughs> tasty, tasty. I found the villains who just appear in that one chapter, found them a little ridiculous. So, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like that's, that's kind of their point. They they completely misjudged the scale of what's happening. But that's by the by. Everyone should play it. Ginny, you got any updates? Um, From last week's episode, not particularly. I didn't get around to playing as much Lost Sphere as I liked. So I'm currently probably only up to where the demo was. So I haven't made as big of a dent as I wanted. And I'm a little bit put off, I guess, by what you and other people have said about how it ends. But I'm someone that likes to finish games once I start them. So I'm definitely going to finish Lost Sphere anyway. And I'll probably update you guys next week on my thoughts about that. Um, I also started Celeste this morning. So I'm... Most of the way through chapter two, I think. Uh, and wow, I can't believe this wasn't on my radar. I, I'm really enjoying it so far. Uh, it's totally a, a super meat boy game. I see where it's going with the story already, I think. <laughs> Maybe it'll surprise me. The one thing with these types of games is I love how they just don't give you time to get frustrated. Mm. It's just like, die straight back in. And 
it's just like you just haven't got time to just build up the anger so you're just like you're already part way through trying again before <laughs> before you've realized how frustrated you are it's really cool so yeah i'll uh i'll keep you updated on that i'm hoping to have it done before bayonetta this friday so we'll see how that goes okay so let's move on to the latest switch news <laughs> Uh, first up is the news that my Nintendo Gold Coins will soon be able to uh, be spent on Switch games. That's cool. Uh, I haven't looked into the, the frequency of how often you earn them, but a uh, good way to make savings eventually, I guess. But it's only going to be for select Switch games. I'm sure it's going to be for Switch games that the three of us, at least, have already, or are just games that nobody really wants, but... Let's not go there. Uh, <laughs> but the deal is uh, actually, from what I've read, you'll actually be able to redeem your games for more gold coins once the system goes in. So uh, if you're buying digital games, you get the gold coins added to your My Nintendo account already. But if you have physical games and you haven't gone into the options menu on the dashboard and redeemed your coins yet, wait. Because once the system goes live, you'll actually be able to redeem your games for more gold coins, from what I've read. Uh, next up, uh, publisher Tiny Build had a live stream where they announced some upcoming Switch games. Uh, we have The Tiny Station, which is a, an apocalyptic zombie killer where you save the world through the power of a huge Mad Max-esque train. Uh, we've got a comment here, Oregon Trail, but with zombies. That already exists. It's called The Organ Trail. <laughs> and it's... And it's great. I think the Death Road to Canada is pretty similar too, and that's coming oh, to Switch dear. very soon. Uh, we've also got, I'll have to be careful how I say this, uh, uh. Costa Truck. What did you a say? Platform. I said truck. No, you there are 10 year olds uh, listening, Andy, come on. Uh, now Leo Plop can't set. listen anymore, Andy, you've lost us a viewer. I said truck. <laughs> Shut the truck up. <laughs> This is a uh, platform fucking shirt. Oh no! <laughs> uh, I said that during the week on a, another game that got announced, but I'll we'll get to that. Uh, so, Cluster Truck is a platformer set on a highway of trucks. Sounds interesting. Uh, Punch Club, which is like a fight management sim. I know this is on Steam. I think I own it, but it looks really interesting. And yeah, I'm, I'm happy to see that come to Switch in that case. Uh, party hard, Ginny, I think you had a, an interest in this. Yeah, so basically, if you've ever lived in an apartment block, um, the premise of this game will probably appeal to you. So it's where your neighbours are partying too hard, and your solution is to kill them. I have had this impulse. Yeah, you basically <laughs> sneak around to your neighbour's flat and try and off them like in inane ways that won't cast suspicion on you. So that's, you know, death by falling pot plant, um, death by something coming through a window, death by a car backing into them on the road outside, sort of inane stuff like that. And it's kind of like balancing stealth gameplay with like attending the party mechanics, so things like being at the party yourself and dancing and trying to blend in while also committing all these murders. Um, so it looks quite interesting. Um, and it's got elements I think are cool, and the music that I've heard from the trailer sounds really great, kind of think like 90s club music. So I'm excited for it. And I live in an apartment block, so very relevant to my current situation. Uh, next up, Streets of Rogue, which I imagine is some sort of side-scrolling beating up, beat them up with roguelike mechanics from that. Yeah, kind of looks like Binding of Isaac in terms of the way combat plays, at least from the trailer. 
um, but it does kind of call itself um, a complete mishmash of various genres. So I think one of the taglines in the trailer is like, you know, it's an action RPG, hack and slash, bunch of other stuff. And I'm just thinking, how is this game actually going to turn out? Um, I guess we don't know, um, but maybe one of us will pick it up and see what it looks like. Maybe so. And the last one is Hello Neighbor. Now this is like a stealth game that um, everyone was interested in, but apparently it's very bad. I don't know if it's bad per se, but it is very similar to, I guess, Party Hard in the sense that your neighbor is doing something weird and your solution is to, to find out what they're doing and maybe off them. I mean, the offing is not a big part of this game, but basically you think your neighbor is a serial killer or some kind of criminal and you have to investigate their house. Um, I like the idea of it when it was first announced, um, but the reviews of it have said that the stealth gameplay, which is obviously a big part of sneaking around someone's house, is not very well tuned. So that's kind of put me off. But I think the estate looks really nice. It has a very sort of 1950s feel. So I think if I have enough time and I can pay for it with gold coins, I'm going to get it at some point. Just not right now. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, you your neighbor's got this weird house and your character is like a kid who's like super curious about what's happening. And then you just keep running in until he catches you. But then when it kicks you back out, all the progress that you've made stays the same. Mm. So you don't need to go into certain rooms and you just keep exploring. And then he just sort of runs up out of nowhere. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if he gets more grisly than that. Um, you're a bit obsessed with murder today, Ginny. Should we be worried? Oh, d- no. This is, it's just the games that have come out recently, you know? It's just <laughs> a bad aesthetic, I guess. Nervous laughter. And this, <laughs> and this is why they think gamers are violent. Anyway, <laughs> NIS America press event. Uh, they've uh, gone over a, a couple of games that they've got coming out. So uh, Ease 8, Lacrimosa of Dana, which we knew about. Um, Toho Genso Wanderer, a dungeon crawler with an anime art style. Um, I can hear Andrew falling asleep to that already. <laughs> uh, Fallen Legion, Rise to Glory. RPG, you've played this on PlayStation, is that right, Andrew? Yeah, it had a weird release on PlayStation, because it's actually a game that has two different campaigns on it, and on PSN they released one of the campaigns exclusively on PS4 and one of the campaigns exclusively on Vita. Uh, <laughs> so I, What? I know, it, it was bonkers, but they tell mutually exclusive stories, but they're made with the same kind of game style, so... Uh, it's kind of like playing two different halves of Warcraft 2 on two different consoles, basically. Uh, <laughs> but suffice it to say, I played this game I, for like six hours, and I I got fed up with it, and I, just, I rage quit. So <laughs> I don't think I'll be getting it on Switch. We've got a Labyrinth of Refrain, another dungeon crawler with an anime art style. A few of these in this list. Uh, Penny Punching Princess, which is a brawler. I think we spoke of this one before when it was originally announced that it looked kind of cutesy and cool mm-hmm. uh, and another one called happy birthdays a cute game about making your own ecosystem Ginny, you had some thoughts on this one yeah so it used to be called birthdays i don't know why it's now called happy birthdays um i guess they're trying to make it a little more i don't know child friendly happy but basically it's like a manage your own ecosystem kind of game 
So you can do that by like tweaking things like um, the water level and the temperature and stuff, and you basically create your own world, um, which can include tons and tons of dinosaurs. Um, so that is a big draw for me. Yeah, dinosaurs are cool. Yeah, they're great. And basically you kind of create life from the very beginning, like a single cell organism all the way up to dinosaurs. So it looks really relaxing and really nice. And I think it'll be good um, as like a game that you can play in your downtime. So I'll probably pick that one up. I like relaxing games like that. Sounds a bit like Spore. Yeah, I would say so, yeah. Cool. True story, when I was a kid, I, I once tried to create my own little ecosystem in this cheap fish tank thing. Mm-hmm. Kept it outside, full of bugs and spiders and, and all that. And then basically the day I did it, it rained and they no. all died. Oh, that's... And I was sad. But they oh. probably would have just eaten each other anyway, but never mind. Um... <laughs> Uh, also announced has been Pillars of Eternity 2, a bit of a surprise one, uh, a big game on the PC, of course, uh, and yeah, I'm super happy to see this. I'm a, I'm a Dungeons & Dragons player, and I imagine that sort of fits the bill for that style of gameplay in the same sort of bracket as Divinity and Divinity 2. Yeah, are you too excited for this? So yeah, I played the first Pillars of Eternity game, and I really enjoyed it. And like Andy, I am an avid D&D player. Um, I play every week. So games like this and Divinity Original Sin 1 and 2 are really sort of up my alley. Um, Obviously, we haven't really seen a portable one yet, I don't think. So I will be actually quite keen to see how they'll manage to run it, I guess, um, on the Switch. You know, because the original PoE had really elaborate character sheets, you know, lots of text going on. I guess how they're going to scale all that down nicely into Switch and make it accessible and make the UI intuitive will be interesting. But I'm confident that they can do it, so I will be keeping my eye out for PoE too. Well, of course, the second uh, CRPG to hit the Switch after Wasteland 2, which was announced just before Christmas, I think, which I am super hyped for. Um, so, with that out of the way, let's move on to the new releases. <laughs> okay, so I've played none of the new releases this week. Uh, I don't even think I've bought anything this week. That makes a change. I nearly buckled and bought Dragon Quest Builders, but I don't need to buy everything on release. I need to learn this. Uh, So, uh, first up we've got Dandara. We spoke about this last week, uh, about a Brazilian uh, warrior. Andrew, you've been playing it. How are you finding it? Uh, It's... uh, mm. (laughs) (laughs) That good, eh? Well, let's start with uh, Dandara herself. Uh, Dandara was a real person. She was a former slave who mastered the dance battle art of capoeira and used it to fight against the slavers who lived in Brazil at the time that she was alive. Uh, and Dandara... So she was breakdance fighting. I, that's That's a very colonialist way of putting it but yes uh, <laughs> sorry Zoolander reference never saw it uh, <laughs> so Dendara dos Palomares was a real person and aside from the fact that they have the same name uh, the, the protagonist of Dandara really has nothing to do with her uh, I one of our listeners Diego Arguello I hope I said that name right I probably didn't uh, he did an interview with the developers where they talked about this, where they they more brought in the idea of the character of Dandara to represent the culture, because uh, the developers of this game are Brazilian. Uh, but 
it would be incorrect to say that this is actually a game about the historical person Dendara. Uh, it's a sci-fi game where you play as a demigod named Dandara who comes to an alien planet and helps them fight off this army that's invading them. Uh, it's, it's, it's hitch is it's, it's the thing it's unique that makes it different from all the other Metroid style platformers out there is you don't actually walk or run in this game is Dandara can't move at all. She can only jump. She can jump from prefixed areas on the floors, walls, and ceiling. And that's how she has to navigate everything. And, she has to fight enemies doing the same thing using a ranged attack that I felt constantly throughout the entire game did not have the range on it that it really should have. Uh, now, since you're navigating all the levels by jumping from the walls, floors, and ceiling, the game tries to help you see things better by rotating the screen around so you can see what's up ahead better, which is great. But it doesn't rotate the map with it. So this is a Metroid-style game. So the entire world orientation is being rotated as you played it. But if you open up your map, then the map is still facing the default direction. So I hope you have a good sense of direction. <laughs> uh, otherwise, you're going to get lost in this game a lot. <laughs> wow. Okay. Seems a bit of an oversight. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't the most user-friendly aspect of the game but if you're into dark souls i think you'll click with it right away because it actually uses the dark souls progression mechanic almost verbatim it's practically plagiarism is when you fight enemies you get their essence that they drop called salt you take it back to campfires and you use it to enhance your character uh <laughs> yeah uh the day that this game came out, I got concerned because all of the reviews started coming out for it, and every single one of them talked about how hard this game is. Uh, I don't think it was that hard, actually, uh, but it was challenging because uh, of the movement system and the way that it forces you to move and interact with the enemies and fight with your enemies. It made things more difficult than it should have been. That is the way that this game is hard. Uh, most of the time when I died, I was like, well, that's cheap. I shouldn't even have to put up with that. But it happens. Like, uh, the first boss you fight is this giant flying purple head that takes up the entire right-hand side of the screen. And the longer the fight goes on, the harder it is just to get in range of the guy, just to hit him. So, uh, it's a game that can be very frustrating, especially if you're just wanting to run around like you would in any other platformer. I use the word annoying more than once while playing this game. Uh, but it's not that long. Uh, it's only about four or five hours. There's only three bosses total. Uh, it, it's clever. It's unique. But I was not wild about it. Uh, next up, we've got the longest five minutes, uh, which Ginny has been playing. Uh, you fire into it yet, Ginny? Um, yeah, so I think I'm almost at the end of it, actually. Well, at the end of my first playthrough. Um, so not that this is a game that requires multiple playthroughs, but when I first looked it up and read more about it, the game has three separate endings. And from my colleagues who have played the game, it gets about 10 hours to get the first ending. And I'm sort of at the eight-hour point currently, so I'm almost there. But basically, the longest five minutes is a JRPG. Um, and if you're wondering why it's called The Longest Five Minutes, 
it's because you play as Flash, um, who is an adventurer or a hero, really. And where the story throws you into it at the start of the game is basically you're at the final boss fight. You're about to kick the boss's butt and you develop amnesia. So you just forget why you're there, who you're there with and what you're doing. And basically you've got five minutes. Um, these are the longest five minutes of the end of your hero's journey. So like the last boss fight. And basically your job is to unravel all your memories um, within these five minutes and successfully kick the boss's butt. Um, so if it sounds like a big stretch and the premise sounds a bit absurd, it is. Um, but the <laughs> game plays into that sort of stuff really well and it doesn't take itself very seriously. So for some context, um, the game aesthetically just reminds me of Pokemon. And by Pokemon, I mean it reminds me of Pokemon Silver and Gold in terms of the sprites even the music when you encounter enemies and the towns that you're in. Um, it has a very Pokemon vibe. Um, and basically you and your friends are just a bunch of country bumpkins who have to save the world um, after going off on some beginner quest that sparks a larger journey and inquiry. So basically it's got basically every JRPG trope out there. Um, it's got pretty much every premise imaginable that you would pull from, I guess, a stereotypical JRPG. Um, but it does a really good job of mocking those things and delivering it to you in sort of bite-sized chunks. So literally little, you know, maybe five to ten minute chunks of story at a time. And it will hop back and forth between your protagonist's like favorite memories, why they're doing what they're doing, and information about the characters. So people that enjoy a very linear story are probably not going to enjoy this at all because it really does go all over the place. But you can revisit your memories sequentially in whatever order you like once you've amassed a certain amount of them. So you can essentially read the story back to yourself once you're done collecting the memories. But um, I think for those that like JRPGs, like a bit of comedy in their games, and want a game that won't take 50 hours to clear, or 100 hours to clear if you're playing Persona 5, this will definitely give you a JRPG fix. The characters are really quite livable, um, even though they are a bit scatterbrained, and they're all, once again, really common JRPG tropes. So your young, carefree, bard friend who likes to spy on women in bathhouses, um your female priest slash sort of holy water magic user um, and you the protagonist who just smashes things with swords and gets the girl at the end of the day. So it doesn't tread any new ground but the way that it arranges its narrative is quite unique and novel. So if you want like a bite-sized JRPG fix you don't think you can take on something like Lost Fear right now or I Am Setsuna and you want a bit of comedic relief I can highly recommend The Longest Five Minutes. Cool, I might give that one a look at some point. Uh, and last on the list of the ones we've played, we have Dragon Quest Builders, which Andrew has been banging the drum for for the last couple of episodes. <laughs> has it been everything you hoped and more? It's been more. Uh, <laughs> uh, as I've said in past episodes, Dragon Quest Builders was one of my favorite games of 2016. Uh, along with Darkest Dungeon, so you can imagine how the past couple months on the Switch have been for me. They've been <laughs> rapturous. Um, 
Dragon Quest Builders, I can honestly say if I hadn't played it in 2016, I would not have tried Minecraft on the Switch in 2017. Uh, it is a complete ripoff of Minecraft, but it adds things onto it that makes it so that way you actually feel like you're accomplishing something. Even in all of the hours and hours and hours I've played Minecraft, I still feel like I have not worked at all towards whatever ultimate goal I'm supposed to be working towards in Minecraft. In Dragon Quest Builders, it's very upfront about what you are expected to do next, because it literally gives you a quest for it. But then you go out into the world and you smash on voxels and they turn into little cubes you bring in your inventory you bring them back to your town and you make something out of them and that's pretty much the whole game and it is great yeah i agree with what andrew's saying um i was not as enthusiastic about it over the past couple episodes because generally games like minecraft are actually not my cup of tea but dragon quest is so i thought well you know if i'm gonna play any spin-off that reminds me of minecraft it's gonna be this one so yeah, as Andrew said, it is Minecraft, but with quests and with the structure. So kind of like how it felt to play the Skyblock mod of Minecraft, but with a JRPG story to accompany it. So I'm really enjoying it. I sort of didn't like how aimless Minecraft felt. Like Minecraft gave you too much freedom in a way for me. It was like, you know, build a house here, maybe kill a spider or just, you know, make a, a cave and mine minerals for the next 10 or 20 days. Um, that's glorious. Why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that stuff. I, I'm I'm sure there's a market for that, as is demonstrated it's by it's fun. Andy's enthusiasm. But I like a little bit more direction. You know, I like to see a story progress. I like to see myself making tangible change in an NPC's life, and Dragon Quest Builders delivers on that front for me. So I'm really enjoying it, um, and sort of having to think about, I guess the the practicalities of building so often in minecraft you know you just build the biggest thing or you build a building shape like a blast choice or you build some kind of replica of the leading tower of pisa or you know something like that but in dragon quest, in dragon quest builders there is like a tangible push and pull between building a nice looking town and one that's sturdy and defensible so you can't just go willy-nilly with the expansion you really should think about resource management and you know sort of the tower defense quote-unquote mini-game that some portions of the game entail. So I'm really enjoying that. Um, and yeah, it's been a positive experience, if not a short one so far for me. Yeah, but it's, it's not to suggest that the entire game is just quests, because there actually is a strong Minecraft element to it. After you've done... The game is divided into four chapters in four different islands, and when you finish a chapter, you go off to another region of the land, and you actually start over pretty much from scratch. Uh, and do the next set of quests. But once you've done those four chapters, you can actually go back into the chapter and just play it like a regular old sandbox Minecraft game. You can build up the town as big as you want. You can explore all the regions of the land and find all the hidden things that have been put in the way of the corner of the islands and continue enhancing your character. Uh, I'm a big fan of those. And there's also a Terra Incognita, that's what they call it, uh, which is literally a sandbox mode. And you unlock it when you first beat chapter one and it just gives you an island that's just empty and you can build whatever you want on it and the more chapters that you finish and the more challenges in the chapters that you complete you actually unlock more tools to use in terra incognita so there is a strong sandbox minecraft element to it at the end game and the more effort you actually put into playing the game the more 
tools it gives you to use there. So uh, there's not as much experimentation as there is in Minecraft. Like I know in Minecraft you have a stack of items. You have to play around with them to figure out what they're used for. Dragon Quest Builders just tells you when you pick it up, which uh, I, I appreciate. So yeah, I, I totally have an interest on this. I think I've got it on Vita. They didn't get to it, and I kind of want to play it on Switch before the sequel comes, because uh, as much as I love the aimlessness of Minecraft, the idea of Minecraft with a story and with with uh, direction also sounds cool. So yeah, I, I'm definitely into the idea of it. Um, quick question, how's the combat? Oh boy, am I glad you asked me about that. <laughs> um, well, it's called Dragon Quest Builders, not Dragon Quest Fighters. So clearly the building is a strong suit, but the combat, I just didn't want it. I didn't like it. It just felt really clunky. Um, I don't know if Andrew had the same problem, but I found if I was surrounded by a ton of monsters and I tried to kind of boop one on the head with, with a hammer or with my terrible wooden sword, I'd get a little bit of lag in terms of when I pressed my attack button and when it would actually <laughs> go. So I really didn't enjoy that um, at all. And as much as I love killing slimes and encountering enemies that I see in the regular Dragon Quest series, I just wish that I didn't need to fight these things. Um, if I didn't have to kill things to harvest resources and like fighting them off wasn't mandatory, then the combat not feeling great wouldn't bother me. But you do have to slaughter some things to get resources and fight your way around issues and travel up mountains and stuff. So I think it's just... Not that it's intuitive, it just doesn't feel pleasant to play. So the combat, eh. But it's not, you know, it's not the overwhelming portion of the game. I don't know. How did you feel about this, Andrew? I have not experienced the lag that you're talking about, but the combat is definitely the weakest part of the game. It's very tedious. Uh, there's not mm-hmm. a lot to it. You get one attack button, and pretty much you either face tank everything or spend a lot of time running away from their attacks then running back in to attack them again because this is a dragon quest game so there are a lot of enemy spawns to fight through and most of the enemies do drop something uh so it's worth fighting them so you can get those drops so you can make things with them back in town but a lot of the time the spawn rate is so overboard that you don't need to kill things anymore because you already have 99 of whatever it is they drop. Uh, And then the quests are broken up into like discrete sections that are each capped off by a combat quest where your town gets raided by the local monsters. Basically, the game grinds to a complete halt while you just fight off a couple dozen monsters and it's not interesting or engaging at all. And also the combat system is really limited. Uh, on When your town is attacked, your NPCs who are hanging around town will try to help you. But the game can't actually register too many hits landing on the same monster at the same time. So when you're fighting one of the big monsters that has hundreds if not thousands of hit points and all your villagers are attacking him for scratch damage while you've got your big sword trying to wail on him uh, it'll register the scratch damage and ignore your big sword and it makes Mm -hmm. uh, yeah it makes a tedious experience even worse Uh, (laughs) having said that i am still very positive towards this game i still feel very positively towards it i just want to acknowledge that it does have this large weakness to it and i hope that they improve upon its combat and rpg mechanics in the sequel there there are changes to dragon quest builders 
uh, from the PS4 and Vita version, which most people are probably familiar with. Uh, after you finish each chapter, there's a list of challenges, and if you complete the challenges, you unlock more things to do in Terra Incognita. On the PSN version of the game, one of the challenges used to be to finish the chapter within 20 in-game days, uh, which means if you didn't complete that, you had to nuke your entire chapter and start over from scratch, which is not ideal for a game like this. You want to keep the things that you built around. Uh, they've changed it in the Switch version. Those challenges no longer seem to be there. They've been replaced with new ones. I highly approve of this change. And... Uh, there's also new items to find you can get that you can use to make uh, 8-bit recreations of the original Dragon Quest world, which is pretty cool, and there's also uh, mounts you can ride now. So uh, if you have played Dragon Quest Builders on PS4 or Vita, there is reason to return if you enjoy the game enough. Andrew, I believe you're streaming Dragon Quest Builders on Twitch currently? I'm going to stream most of the Switch games I talked about on this podcast. So basically the podcast has an official stream now. It's at twitch.tv slash playcritically. So folks, what are we playing in this next week? Bayonetta. Only Bayonetta. Because Bayonetta is amazing. It's not out till Friday. How how are you going to do that? I'll play Lost Fear before that, okay. and then Bayonetta. <laughs> uh, I'm going to try and get through Celeste before Friday, uh, and then just play Bayonetta. Woo! Well, me, it's going to be Bayonetta, obviously, when it comes out on Friday. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm going to probably finish playing through Dragon Quest Builders. Uh, I've got a physical version of Portal Knights arriving on Tuesday. I'd like to spend some time with that assuming I can finish Dragon Quest Builders before Friday. But we'll see. I'm going to play it by ear. Cool. Cool. So we'll be back with some Bayonetta chat next time. Yes. And that's it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Switch Focus podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast services. Why not check out our YouTube channel, where we regularly upload the first hour of many of the games we play. And you can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates, news, and other content. If you'd like to support the show, you can now buy us a coffee. Details are on our website. And if you want to follow the three panellists on Twitter individually, you can follow me at Flame Roast Toast, you can follow Andrew at Play Critically, and you can follow Ginny at Ginny Woes. Mm-hmm.